الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بأسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله تعالى طيب لا يقبل إلا طيبا وإن الله أمر المؤمنين بما أمر به المرسلين فقال تعالى يا أيها الرسل كلوا من الطيبات واعملوا صالحا وقال تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا كلوا من طيبات ما رزقناكم ثم ذكر الرجل يطيل السفر أشعث, أشعث أغبر يمد يديه إلى السماء يا رب يا رب ومطعمه حرام ومشربه حرام وملبسه حرام وغذي بالحرام فأنا يستجاب لذلك رواه مسلم الحمد لله brothers and sisters we're continuing with the 40 of Imam al-Nawawi the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi which we previously explained that Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah in selecting of these ahadith he is specifically choosing those ahadith that every single one of them is a fundamental principle of Islam. That if you look at that hadith, that hadith in and of itself tells us something, a salient feature, a specific fundamental point, a foundational point about Islam. In other words, you can pick out any one of these ahadith in the Arba'in and it will indicate to a fundamental teaching a fundamental principle of the deen that the deen is based on in other words if you were to remove that fundamental point like for example this hadith that we're doing today if you were to remove that from islam if you were to remove that from your practice of islam your deen would become deficient there will be a naqs in your deen we know there's many mustahabbat there's preferable things, they're recommended things, they're optional things, that if we do it, you know, these are from the virtues. You understand? But the things mentioned here are not only from the virtues. These are not just virtuous things. These are things that the deen is dependent, the deen, is, the deen relies upon these things. Otherwise, if you were to remove any one of these aspects, a certain large chunk of your practice would be deficient. That's why these, these ahadith for every Muslim, if not to be memorized, you should know, the, you should be acquainted with ahadith. And this is another thing that I would, like to, I would like to convey to all my listeners, my brothers and sisters that are here and those who are listening online. Just as it is you know, it's virtuous, it's good that we know certain ayat of the Qur'an. I've seen many Bible study classes, Christians, and they'll by heart special verses of the Bible. Oh, this verse has a big impact on me. It's, oh, which verse of the Bible has an impact on me? Oh, you know, Philippians, you know, verse such and such, or Timothy, or John, chapter 4, you know, verse number 55. And very passionately, you, you should have a specific verse of the Qur'an that you've by-hearted, a specific verse of the Qur'an that inspires you. Unfortunately, amongst us, we don't have, you know, I don't, I don't find that, that, unfortunately, that passion. 
We should, we have to, and inshallah, that's why Thursday nights we have tafsir. In the tafsir, this is what we're emphasizing, that connect yourself to the Qur'an al-Kareem. Connect yourself to the meanings. Read the Qur'an in such a way where you take guidance and inspiration from it. I think the ummah has mastered thawab. Like we've mastered everything of thawab. Do this for thawab. Do that for thawab. Give charity. You know, we want reward. We want, alhamdulillah. It's, this is, I'm not downplaying that at all. But there's something what Allah Azza wa Jal says that that's only half of it. Allah Azza wa Jal says about the Quran, "Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun." That's the barakah. We do it for the barakah. Liyadabbaru ayatihi. We don't. We, we stop there though. The ayat goes on. This ayat of the Quran is very interesting. Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun liyadabbaru ayatihi wa liyatadhkara ulul albab. This book, we have revealed it to you, O Muhammad it is blessed so that you may ponder and reflect over its verses and so that those who are the people of intelligence may take heed. We don't take heed. We're not reading the Qur'an to get inspired. We're not reading the Qur'an to motivate ourselves. We're not reading the Qur'an to find solutions. Do you know what Imam Shafi'i did one day? Imam Shafi'i had a question this question was bothering him. And it was specifically about the matter of where does consensus come about in Islam? Is there such a, is there such a legislative fund, a, 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 a legislative rule in Islam that, for example, we know that Quran, if there's a commandment in the Quran, it's binding, it's law. We know if the Prophet said something and he emphasized it, it's law. Al-amru lil-wujub. Right, But then he says, can consensus of scholars be legislation in Islam? So if a group of, if the Sahaba get together, if the scholars of Islam, all of them get together to say, this particular thing is necessary, or this particular thing is haram, can that be a valid, you know, establishment of le legislating laws in Islam. He says, I haven't found any proof for that. It says that Imam Shafi'i, to answer that question of his, he did like, I don't know, 10 khatams of the Quran. A certain large amount of, like, he read the Quran like 10 times, cover to cover, specifically looking for the answer to this question, and he said, I found it. وَمَن يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَى وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ نُوَلِّهِ مَا تَوَلَّى وَنُصْلِهِ جَهَنَّمَ وَسَاءَتْ مَصِيرًا I think it's Surah An-Nisa, if I'm not forgotten, if I'm not mistaken. Surah An-Nisa. The ayat goes like this, but look at how he found it, like smack dab in the middle of the ayah. But if you, like Allah Ta'ala says, you have to ponder the verses because it's there. It's there. But you have to, you have to dig in. You know, there's a wisdom why the Qur'an is 30 juz and not 60 or not 100. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to reveal it ijmalan, and he, in summary, in a nutshell, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to give us all the, but it's there. You got to sometimes read between the lines and ponder and reflect. So in this verse, he found it, وَمَنْ يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولِ and he who cuts off 
from the messenger. Yani disobeys the messenger. Causes disagreement or, you know, uh, separation from the messenger. And he follows away other than the way of the general believers. Oh, there it is. You see where he found it? And he follows away other than the way of the believers. We will leave him to that which he has adopted. Yani, to that misguided and deviated path that he has, we will leave him to that. And his entrance will be into the hellfire. The point being is, to what extent they read these verses and they had a connection with the quran kareem Similarly, we should have a hadith. There are certain ayat that we should have memorized as Muslims. Certain ayat that inspire us. I want everybody to do that for homework. Can we, we do that, inshallah, for homework? Select an ayah. You know, read. I mean, you, everybody probably already has one. Many of you already probably have an ayah. Right? But, for example, Arja ayatin fil Quran al-Kareem. You know, Hassan Basri and some of the Salaf al-Sadiqeen, they would, you know, talk with one another about this. Which is the most hopeful ayah of the Quran? And one, you know, one of the Salaf would say, which is the most hopeful ayah? He said, this ayah, you know, Tell my slaves who have transgressed the bounds in harming themselves in sin. They've gone in the excess. They've gone beyond the limits of disobeying Allah. Tell them, O Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Allah forgives all sins and Allah is the forgiving and merciful. SubhanAllah. Some, some, you know, they would, they would ponder and say, this is the most hopeful verse in the Quran that Allah forgives every sin. Don't be hopeless. Never lose hope. Never be despair. So we should all have an ayah that inspires you, an ayah that you, know, you look up to and that gives you hope that, no, this is what my Lord has promised me. After this ayah, I have no worries. After this ayah, I will never fear. Right? After this ayah of the Quran, I will never fear. Some of the Salaf, they mention that this doesn't come to my mind right now, but they say three ayats of the Quran, if you were to take that, it would suffice you. And you would have no worries in life. One of them is this. And he who puts his trust in Allah, Allah will suffice him. And then, you know, this is how the Salaf and the pious predecessors, they would read the Quran. They would say, after, you know, this ayah, after I have this ayah, you don't need to worry about anything else. This ayah will suffice you. So, how are we reading the Quran? And, you know, don't do it through Instagram, you know, hashtag Quran quotes. Please. Why I'm saying is, I'm not saying that that's not, it's not bad, it's good that there's some good on those things as well. Some people really get inspired by stuff like that. But I'm just saying is, try to disconnect yourself with that. Have your own Quran. Have a Quran that you have your notes inside of it. Have your Quran that you, your study Quran. Where you study, where you spend time with it, where you highlight it, where you have those, where you're building a connection with Allah's words. And similarly, there should be certain ahadith. There should be certain ahadith. I have some, uh, inshallah, new publications project. There is a, in the living in the light of the Quran. 
So I, it was a program that I did for the month of Ramadan, 30 ayahs from the book of Allah that, what was it? Was it? Yeah, so what it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be that ayah for that day. You select one ayah, and for that day, that ayah, it's like an inspiration for you, like an inspirational. It gives you like some focus. It gives you some goal. It, it, it gives you some direction. For example, I think one of the first ones in there is, قُولُوا لِلنَّاسِ husna. And say good to the people. And you wake up in the morning, you read that ayah and say, okay, this is, I'm going to practice upon this. I'm going to say a good word. So like this, many, many ayat. There's simple ones. Like, say good to the people. There's, uh, you know, there's, huh? Hmm? Wafshu salam, yeah, yeah, right? So anyways, like that, there should be certain ahadith also that we should, if we don't by heart them, we should at least have proper modify and understanding, recognition of those ahadith and what they contain. From amongst them is this. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrates, and this is the 10th hadith in the, in the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Verily Allah ta'ala is pure. And he does not accept any deeds. And he does not accept anything unless it is pure. And Allah has commanded the believers with the same commandment that he has commanded the prophets. And what is that? Ya rusulu kulu wa O messengers, eat from the wholesome things that Allah Ta'ala has provided and do good deeds. وَقَالَ تَعَالَى يَا إِنْيُوَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And Allah Ta'ala says, O you who believe, eat from the pure of what we have provided for you. And then the Prophet mentions a person who's on a long journey and his hair is disheveled. أَشْعَثَ أَشْعَثَ And his hair is disheveled. أَغْبَرَ He's covered in dust. يَمُدُّ يَدَيْهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ And he's spreading his arms to the sky in prayer. And he's saying, Oh my Lord, oh my Lord. haram. This wow is wow haliyah. Hala kaunihi fi hadihi al-hala halat al-iltija' wa halat al-iftirar wa halat al-inkisar hala kaunihi yad'u and in that state where he's covered in dust and lifting his hands and saying, Ya Rabb, and on a journey, whereas he's in the state of in himself, he's in a state that the food that he is eating is from unlawful sources. His drink is from unlawful sources. His clothing is from unlawful sources. And he has been nourished by haram. He's been nourished by haram. The Prophet said, How will it be that if this is his condition, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept his dua? Now, 
The first point in this hadith, the Prophet said, Inna Allah tayyib. Let's, let's analyze this hadith. Inna Allah tayyib. Inna Allah tayyib. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pure. Yani Allahu munazzahun anin naqais. Allah ta'ala is pure from all deficiencies. Allah tayyib. Allah is pure. It means that Allah is pure from any deficiencies, from any blemishes. One of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal is Al-Quddus. Al-Quddus means, right, the possessor of sanctity, the possessor of purity, that no harm, no blemish, no deficiency, anything of a blemish, anything of, an, of a naqs, anything of a deficiency, anything that's low, anything that is impure, right, lowly, despicable, right, that cannot be befitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of the most pure, is of the most sublime, is free from all deficiencies and blemishes, the actions that we do should be befitting such a king. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, when you're taking a gift to someone, you're taking a gift to somebody who is homeless on the street and then you're taking a gift to somebody who is the president, the prime minister or the king of a land. The gift that's given to a person of either rank should be according to their maqam. The person that is on the street, you give them a piece of dry bread, they'll be grateful and that will suffice them. You understand? But can you give the same thing to the king? Can you give the same thing to the one a king that is sublime? No, you cannot. You have to give something that is worthy of that king, great like that king, pure. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remember, greatness is in our intention. Greatness is not, we, we can never, remember, we can never fulfill his greatness. So don't get me wrong, but the purity of our intention, yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want big things. Not, let's not misunderstand what's going on. It's not the bigness or the smallness or the value of that object. Because one penny that is given khalisan lillah, it's given purely for Allah's sake. Ya Allah, I have nothing, but I have this penny. And I'm giving this only for you. Not that anybody else should be happy. That's what Allah is looking for. That in our intention, that our intention should be pure. And what we have earned should not be from unlawful sources. From lying. From cheating. From interest. From anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. Right? From usury or from bribery because all of these things are what? these things are, are is, is deceit it's unlawful it's cheating it's haram and now what we've earned from that and then we give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right? what are we doing? for the one who is pure we are giving something which is deficient we are giving something which is tainted it is tainted with ghish it is tainted with riba. It is tainted with... Because the worldly filth, 
worldly filth, as feces and urine and mud and dirt, and, but the spiritual blemishes, the spiritual filth is that which Allah is displeased with, that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not happy with. Bribery, money of bribery. Somebody taking bribes and then giving sadaqah in place of that. You are doing an injustice to another person. And with that injustice, you are earning that money. That money now, through that injustice, has become blemished, has become tainted, has become filthy. That is not worthy of Al-Quddus. You can give a thousand dollars of bribery and it will be mardud, it will be rejected. And one penny that is earned on the street with lawful earning, with sincere, halal, hard work that is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tayyib. La yaqbalu illa tayyiba. He will not accept unless it is pure. You invite someone to your home and is a dirty cup. Somebody drank some coffee inside of it. And you know how they do it in Pakistan? You know, back when we were... I don't know. I, I used to... I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. It didn't matter. They just take the cup and they dip it in like water and then they put it for the next person. You remember that? I don't know why. The germs don't affect you there. What's happening? So they just take the cup and they just dip it in there, you know, in the Karachi chai shops and in the Kuwaita chai shops. They just take it and they dip it in that dirty water. And, you know... I don't know what happens. Nothing happens. But like if you were to an honorable and noble person, someone comes to your house and you just dip it inside the soap water and then you put like chai inside of it, you're like, I don't want to eat that. You understand what I'm saying? So when we are presenting our amal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to purify our utensil. This is the utensil. Our body is the utensil by which we make sajda. We are... Our body is the instrument by which we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our body are instruments of Allah's service. You understand? Our bodies are the instruments of Allah's service. So now imagine, like the our bodies are the utensils. Just like a utensil, you give a dirty utensil if you're at a restaurant and then somebody gives you a dirty fork or a dirty spoon or you get the, oh my God, this, this was sickening. We, were, we went to, I don't know where, was it IHOP or something? And then in the cup it had like a lipstick mark. I was about, I just, I just left. I left there and said, I'm not, gonna drink, I'm not eating or drinking anything here. It's like a lipstick mark on the, on the coffee mug. I said, what is this? Oh, I'm sorry, I'll replace it. I said, I'll replace myself. I'm going Forget about this. I mean, you know, this is a person who, imagine Al-Quddus. Would you present your deeds in a filthy, I mean, this is how we are. We are, we are filthy. We are filthy, but this is how sensitive we are. Imagine Al-Quddus, the most pure, the most sublime, the most high and above all impurity, all deficiency. You understand what I'm saying? So, our bodies are the instruments of Allah's service. This has to be purified. It's so beautiful. Imagine, Allah created us for His ibadah. Allah created us for His worship. Allah created this dunya for us, and Allah created us for Him. Not because He needs us. He doesn't need our worship, but this is our honor. 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made insan ashraful makhluqat. Why? Because he selected us for his worship. So this body that Allah ta'ala has given us should be purified because this is the instrument of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's worship. It's the instrument of Allah ta'ala's servitude and ubudiyyah. And when it says tayyib, tayyib should be zahiran wa batinan, internal and external. Imam al-Ghazali goes deep into this in the Ihya, where he says you've made wudu externally, but what about the person who la yutahhiru qalbahu, fahuwa, and he says he's not worthy to stand fil to stand in the presence the one who his heart has not been purified yani is a higher maqam obviously a person who makes wudu stands in prayer and all his external limbs are pure his prayer is accepted but now Imam al-Ghazali is saying on a, on a further level what is the true reality of purity right? our hearts also has to be pure to stand before him and then the second part of this is, وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ بِمَا أَمَرَ بِهِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And verily Allah has commanded the believers with the same thing that He has commanded the prophets. In other words, this commandment is so emphatic, it has so much emphasis, that Allah has commanded the believers with the same thing that He commanded the messengers. And you imagine that the messengers probably would get even a more severe uh, commandment or higher level commandment. But no, we have to follow in the same footsteps of the messengers. And if the messengers have been told this, whereas we know that the messengers would never go close to haram, then imagine how important it is. You see? If the messengers are commanded to do something, even though the messengers, they were just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is tayyib, Allah does not send his risala. Allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu risalata. One of the qualities or features of prophethood is ismatul anbiya. Yani nazahatuhum minan naqais. Nazahatuhum minan dhunub. They have a, a level of quddusiyat within them. Ismah. So why is this being mentioned to prophets whereas the prophets have been preserved from sin? This is, this is, this is kind of very profound. The ulama discuss this. Ya ayyuhal rusulu, kulu min al-tayyibat. Yani, hal, yani, hal yumkin, yani, al-rusul la ya'kul min al-tayyibat? Can it be possible that the prophets don't eat from that which is pure? I, I don't think it's possible. It's within their isma. It's against their isma to eat haram. What's the opposite of tayyib? Khabith. So, ya ayyuhal rusul, kulu min al-tayyibat, ka'annahum ya'kulun al-khabayth, la yumkin. But then why is Allah Azza wa Jal saying it? To show the great emphasis that if I am commanding the messengers, and it is impossible for them to go near anything that is impure or evil, then what can you imagine about the normal believers? This is what the ulama of tafsir say. Ya ayyuhal rusulu, kulu min al-tayyibati. Yani, 
it's not even, it's not, cannot even be imagined that the prophets would go near Khabif. So now, oh believers, if this commandment is being given to prophets, what is your, now what should be demanded from you as a regular person, as a regular human being, not even a messenger? Even more so, you should be concerned where we are closer to making mistakes and falling into haram and dirt and filth. So for you, you should even take more care in this regard. Point number one. Point number two, وَعْمَلُوا صَالِحًا Look at the ittisal. We look at the rabt. Rabtu al-aklu tayyib wal-amal salih Eat from that which is pure and do good deeds. The ulama mentioned that the rabt and the connection of eating good and doing good is very clear in this ayah. Allah Ta'ala says, eat which is pure and do what is good. Because when you eat what is pure, you will do what is good. And when you eat that which is impure, and you eat from unlawful sources, and you eat that which is haram, then there will be these impulses, the impulses to do haram, the sexual impulses, evil impulses, sinful impulses, constantly they will come. Some people, they're like even more, you know, overwhelmed by these type of things. And other people, their hearts are just pure. They don't get these heavy temptations or wasawas of shaitan and the shaitan made me do it and all these different waswasas and kind of going off and left and right. What's going on? Where is this coming from? And some of the scholars say that those impulses sometimes can come about from what we eat. Just like we have, for example, you drink certain drinks, it has caffeine in it. It gives a specific type of, you know, effect in the body. Certain chemicals that we drink, caffeine, or you know, some have melatonin, or some things have dopamine, or so, and it gives a specific chemical reaction in the brain, and it makes you feel a certain way, or think a certain way, or become more active, or whatever. You have spiritual effect as well in food. That which is unlawful food, it brings about certain spiritual tendencies. Money that is earned through bribery and a person takes from that eats from that they become and somebody had told me subhanallah that there was a you know family in afghanistan a person was telling me this story that a person in afghanistan their father and their grandfather from their nasab they had they would let people borrow money they had a lot of money and they would let people borrow money on interest and that's how they would make money it is very very clear they would they were very proud of this kind of like thing that they had so the man was telling me he said this is very very common in their family and every single sibling in that household they want to kill each other they're fighting with one another they hate one another they've cut off from one another and he said, one of the daughters he knows, she actually took petrol and she put it on herself and she lighted herself on fire. Yani, where does this, these halat come from? Where does this hatred come about from? You know? This type of like, you know, uh, taking interest and taking advantage of people and um, something which from the Torah and the Injil and the Quran and from the prophets of before they have said that this is something which is clearly haram it is a great injustice even Aristotle spoke about usury and interest very interesting the quotes of Aristotle 
How can a society say, I don't, I, don't see, I don't see any oppression worse than what the person who eats interest? I mean, it's shocking. Like these philosophers, they know what it does to society and they know what it does to people. You know? Anyways, that's not my objective of going into that. But the point was how the link between eating of haram and doing of good deeds or doing of deeds, what you eat, you know, what you put in, that's what you get out. Whatever you put in, that is what you get out. If you put in halal, you will get out halal. If you put in haram, it will give you that, those haram impulses. It's very, very, this is a spiritual thing. You can't ask, oh, how is that? How can that be possible? I'll give you an example. Just like you have chemicals in food. You have caffeine. You have dopamine. Or you have, and you take these things and it makes a chemical change and it starts making you act a certain way. Behave a certain way. We know that. How can that not be so spiritually? It's possible in, with the nervous system and the human body physically. How can it not be spiritually? There is. There is a rabt. And this ayah proves that there's a connection with what, the, the purity that we eat and the righteous actions that we do. Second ayah, Similarly, eat from the lawful which we have provided you. So, in other words, the Prophet is bringing both ayat that the prophets are being commanded and here the believers are being commanded the same thing. Ya Rasul, kulu min tayyibat Ya amanu. Right? Ya amanu, kulu min tayyibat So the, believe, the general believers are being commanded with the same thing that the prophets are being commanded. Then the hadith goes on. rajul. This is not the words of the prophet. This is the words of the rawi. Then the Prophet mentioned a person. He mentioned a man. What's the condition of this man? Let's count, let's count his sifat. Number one, safar. He's going on a long journey. Number two, Ash'ath. Number three, so Ash'ath means disheveled hair. Number four, number, number three, Three, Aghbar, covered in dust. Number four, Yamuddu Yadehi ila Sama. Number five, saying, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabb. He has five qualities in him. Every single one of these qualities necessitates istijabatu dua. It necessitates the acceptance of prayer. I'll explain. When a person is on a journey, the Prophet said that the person who is on a journey, his dua is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand? How many disheveled and dust-covered person there is that if he were to make dua to Allah, Allah would accept his dua. There's another hadith. In other words, this condition of being so tore up so tired, so covered in the, so humiliated for Allah's sake, so humbled that your hair is all, you know, when, when, when people hair is all disheveled, you see them, their, their hair is all disheveled and they're covered in dust and this is like condition that, subhanAllah, Allah says to the angels, oh my angels, do you not see my slaves, what their condition is, that they've come from so far and they're covered in dust and they're disheveled and imagine somebody who's your admirer and they come from a long journey and they come to your front door and their like, clothes are all tattered and their hair is all disheveled and uh, uh, I came all the way 
just to see you. Tears would come to your eyes and say, come, you know, you would give them the grand welcoming that they went through so much suffering for your sake. Imagine that you're doing this for Allah, ash'atha, covered in dust, or disheveled hair, covered in dust. Yani al-inkisar, brokenness, and al-tadarru'. And yamuddu yadayhi lis-sama. And he's lifting his hands to the sky. And lifting of the hands to the sky is another thing which min mujibati, yani qabuliyatu dua which necessitates the acceptance of dua. As the Prophet says in a hadith Qudsi, إِنَّ اللَّهَ حَيٌّ كَرِيمٌ يَسْتَحْيِ مِنْ عَبْدِهِ يَرْفَعُ يَدَيْهِ وَيَجْعَلُهُمَا سِفْرًا That Allah Ta'ala is most Allah is most merciful that he, uh, you know, the slave should lift his hands up to him and that Allah should leave those hands of his slaves empty without answering his dua. And then the fifth one, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. Some say that when a person says Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, in one hadith it comes that this is um, a person if he says it three times. Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. This Allah Ta'ala says, Labbayka Ya Abdi, what is it that you want? Oh my slave, what is it that you ask? Labbayka ya, ya abdi, what is it that you ask me? Subhanallah. Despite all of this five states of that abd, that he's in a state of tadarru, he's in a state of humbleness, he's in a state of humility, he's in a state, he's saying the right thing, he's doing the right thing, he's acting the right way. However, he's in this condition that his food is haram, his drink is haram, his clothes are haram, and he's nourished with haram. How can it be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was saying, it's not impossible for that. That's not what this means. How can it be? It's very easy for Allah. But it is, Allah ta'ala is saying that it is not befitting for me because of what I said in the first line. Allah is pure. And you're coming with me with a filthy cup. You're saying, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, and this cup of yours, this has become filthy. You will not even drink coffee out of a mug that has a lipstick mark on it. How is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to accept a dua, right? And it's your, in your, you've, you've defiled the utensil of dua. This is our utensil of dua. And we've defiled that utensil of dua. This is not because Allah cannot you know, somebody would might retort. Now, there's a lot of comments like this that people make. Oh, is God so much like this that he can't accept the dua? No, God can accept the dua. But where is our honor? And where is our respect? And where is our, you know, what is our audacity that we can do that and we don't honor the purity and the sanctity of God? This is the issue here. This is the, you can say, the punishment of a person not appreciating the sanctity. Somebody might, you know, people get angry like, you know, you, know, you come into the courtroom dressed inappropriately. What is, what's the big deal? What, so I'm, I'm covered? 
you're covered, but you're not dressed appropriately. This is the, you're disrespecting the sanctity of this place. You understand? This is not about Allah's capable or incapable. For Allah, it's nothing. For Allah, it doesn't mean anything. Not a single iota will be diminished from his treasures if Allah accepts our dua. But it diminishes our honor and our... This is against the, the wafa of ubudiyyah. This is against the loyalty of a servant, servant of Allah. This is against the, the, the adab and the respect that a servant of Allah should have for his Lord. Your Lord should be much more respectable for you. In regards to eating of haram, there is a hadith that is narrated that the person who eats one luqma of haram and it goes inside of his body, his prayer is not accepted for 40 days. This hadith is narrated in some weak narrations, but it is very mutadawil bayna nas It's circulated amongst people. It's, it's a, it's a, I think it's narrated in Tirmidhi. It's very, very famous that even one luqma of haram that goes inside of a person for 40 days their salah is not accepted. So a couple of points to take into consideration. Number one, this hadith is weak. You cannot establish ahkam and halal and haram and qabuliyat and rad by something which is a weak hadith. That's point number one. This hadith in and of itself is sahih. This hadith is narrated in Sahih Muslim that when you've eaten something haram, your prayer is not accepted. However, I have seen a lot of people who read this hadith of 40 days, they really become, they become OCD. Yeah, I've seen they become very obsessive. And, you know, Sheikh, you know, my, my prayer is not going to get accepted, you know, for 40 days. And, you know, and I say, look, the but, 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 but what the hadith may be referring to, if it is authentic, that the nur and the qabuliyat and how do you say the, the blessings of that amal you do not get, the blessings. But your prayer is done. It is considered complete. It is considered accepted. It's done. But what is now the issue here? The issue is the matter of the barakah, the matter of the blessings, the matter of thawab. Thawab and blessings and barakah can only be done when you do something, obviously, which is pure. Here, Ibn Hajar Asqalani mentioned something, Hafizah, that I, it was a very good point because this hadith was also bothering me. A lot of people were getting OCD about it. Some people actually would, I, I knew somebody who actually left his prayers. He, he ate something, he found out that it was haram, and then he left his prayer for 40 days because he said here, you know, my prayer is not getting accepted for 40 days. Then he came to me about it after, and I said, this is not the right way of thinking. It's talking about like the barakah of your amal. You can't leave your deeds just because. So here Hafiz ibn Hajar says something. That's why you don't just understand the hadith by reading a hadith face value. There's a lot of commentary that the mashayikh have given. Look at what he says. فَأَنَّ يُسْتَجَابُ لَهُ يَعْنِي مِنْ أَيْنَ يُسْتَجَابُ لِمَنْ هَذِهِ صِفَتُهُ How can Allah accept the person who his quality is like this because Allah is pure and now you're coming with something that is filthy and defiled 
You're not worthy of acceptance. Then what does he say? Lakin. Lakin. And then I, I highlighted this point. Remember this. Lakin Yajuzu Allahu Ta'ala Lahu Tafadulan Walutfan Wakaraman. It's jayas. It's not impossible. Allah Ta'ala is gonna impossible for it. Like I said, we're not talking about possibility or imkan. Definitely Allah Ta'ala can accept or not. I mean, we've seen people that literally they've drank alcohol. The next minute while they're drunk, they come in the masjid and they say their shahada. For him, Allah Ta'ala, he has haram in his body. He should not accept Islam. We've seen this. People that are under the influence and they come inside the house of Allah Ta'ala with haram in their body and Allah gives them the light of iman in their heart. If that is correct, then there should be no fadl of Allah. There should be no takarrum. There should be no rahmah upon somebody who does haram. So this, this, is, this is a clarification. SubhanAllah. Yajuzu an yastajib Allah Ta'ala lahu. Of course it's possible. And it is permissible. That Allah Ta'ala can accept somebody's dua tafadbulan wa lutfan wa karaman. Out of his virtue. Maybe somebody's doing it unknowingly. Maybe somebody ate something haram unknowingly. Maybe somebody's involved in something and they don't know it. They didn't know that this is haram. The information had not reached them. So now we're saying that this person, none of his prayers are accepted, none of his du'as are accepted. So in other words, Allah Azza wa Jalla is Allamul Ghuyub. Allah knows the depths of the heart. Sometimes the sincerity and the nur of a person's inaba. And I'm specifically talking about like, for example, people, I've seen people that are like smelling of alcohol and tears are coming in their eyes when you give them da'wah and they make tawbah in the state where they are impure. They are physically impure and they're internally impure. Right? But the fadl and the karam of Allah Azza wa Jal wa rahmati wasi'at kulla shay. Wa rahmati My mercy encompasses all things. So sometimes we read certain things and what does it do? It restricts Allah Ta'ala's rahmah whereas in reality we have seen the opposite of that. Hafizah, you understand? If I'm saying anything wrong, you can correct me. But this 40-day thing, as a qaida kulliyah, right? That, that's it. 40 days, you're completely mardud. The door, the door of rahmah is closed on your face. I've seen opposite of that. Because if a person is Muslim and non-Muslim, I've seen. People are drenched in alcohol or you know, reeking of alcohol or under the influence, and then they're crying, and then they say their shahada, or they make tawbah. Tawbah is a mercy of Allah Ta'ala. The mercy of Allah should not descend upon a person who is filthy. So what is the meaning of this hadith then? The meaning of this hadith then is that on a general circumstances, as a rule, remember, to Allah, there is always exception to the rule especially in the matters of fadl and rahmah and mercy. My Shaykh, rahmatullah, he said something amazing. He said, Allah said that he's maliki yawmiddin. He's not just hakimi yawmiddin. What is the meaning of malik and hakim? He's maliki yawmiddin. He's the owner of the day of judgment. So, for example, the day of judgment is, is going to be a court. It's a judgment. And Allah is going to be the judge. 
But he's not just a judge, he's the owner. This is interesting. Look at how the Mashaikh, they look at things. He said, look, Maliki Yawmiddin is different than Hakimi Yawmiddin. Hakim, a judge or a ruler, he's still bound by the law. Isn't he? He can't, he's not above the law. He has to go according to the law. But Maliki Yawmiddin, so, but, but it says, Anna yustajabu walakin yajuz. Anna Malik. I am the owner. Oh, but, but it said, how can you accept his dua if he's eating haram? I will accept him. He ate haram, but I will accept because I want to shower my mercy upon him. The sincerity that was in his heart and the goodness and the, what I saw, I want to forgive. We see this, right? People who had spent their entire life in sin. There was a woman, we know the story, that she had spent her entire life in sin. And she saw a dog licking the mud out of thirst. She took her shoe and she said, you know, the same way that I'm thirsty, this dog is thirsty. She takes her shoe and he puts it in the water and gives it to the dog and the dog, she quenches the thirst of the dog. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave her entire life of sin. And the rule is that a person who lives their life in sin should die. You live what you, you know, you, you, you die the same way that you lived. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his mercy can encompass everything with the sincerity. And in other words, don't judge a person. Don't think that there's no exception to Allah Ta'ala's rule. You understand my point? So this is the general ruling. We should live by this. This is what we should live by. But now when we start living by this to such an extent that we restrict the mercy of Allah Azza wa nothing can restrict Allah's mercy. That's my point. Remember, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. The hadith is very, very clear. Your deeds will not get accepted when you have defiled it for all the reasons that we mentioned previously. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there is always exception to Allah's rule. And that's why here it says, لَكِنْ يَجُوزُ أَنْ يَسْتَجِيبَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى لَهُ Because what now this comes into? Do you know what this falls into? What is the meaning of jawaz here? Sheikh Ahmad, the meaning of jawaz here is... Uh, Discussion of the Mu'tazila بمقابل أهل السنة لأن المعتزلة يعتقدون لا يجوز على الله يجب على الله تعالى إدخال الناس في في الجنة أو في النار يجب عليه لأنه إن لم لم يجب عليه فيكون ماذا يعني هذا يكون غير إنصاف أو يعني يكون خلافا للعدل it will be against the justice so there's a group of what we call their you know supposedly um, rationalists the Mu'tazila and the Mu'tazila in some of the verses right they believed that okay See, Allah Ta'ala says that these people will go to Jahannam. It's binding upon him that he must put the disbelievers or he must put the sinners in Jahannam. He must, because this is the demand of justice. If he does not, he's going against justice. You know, this, this was one of their, this was one of their usuls. These were one of the deviant sects of Islam. They had a specific, they were called the rationalists. And it is binding wajib ala Allah that 
he, if somebody has done an injustice, if somebody has done zulm, if somebody has done isyan, then it's wajib ala Allah an yu'aqibahu. Yajibu alayh an yu'aqibahu adlan. فَنَحْنُ نَقُولِ لَا يَجِبُ عَلَى اللَّهِ شَيْءٍ هذا عقيدة أهل السنة والجماعة So this is what Hafiza, what uh, Ibn Hajar Asqalani is making indication to is إشارة إلى معتزلة يَجُوزُ That's why he says لَكِنْ يَجُوزُ أَنْ يَسْتَجِيبَ اللَّهِ Because the Mu'tazila they always take many of the verses of like punishment and reward to become something binding upon Allah Azza wa Jal But like we said all of the ayat what is it Allah Ta'ala saying? Uh, many verses of the Quran are like this. But one example is Maliki Yawmiddin. Right? Another verse of the Quran is Fadlam mir Rabbik. Thalika huwa al-fawzul azim. Fadlam mir Rabbik. Not wujuban ala Rabbik. Right? Other verses of the Quran, for example, talks about Jannah. And then it says, um, so this is a this is a whole uh, discussion of aqidah. It just didn't, uh, you know, it's just coming to my mind here why Ibn Hajar is saying it is permissible. And it is valid. It this is possible. It's not from the impossibilities, which they believe. That rationally it is not correct Rationally is not possible Because this goes against Allah's justice And we say it doesn't go against justice Because you own it Do you get my point? When you're Malik I mean this answers all of it Why would it go against your justice? Because you made the law You get, you get my point? I mean it goes against justice If you're a judge working for the government Allah don't work for nobody He's Maliki Yawmiddin He's not Hakimu Yawmiddin so this is why in the matter of punishment or in the matter of these type of ayat where it says, you know, will not accept it. But it's possible that he will accept it. You don't need to get OCD that, okay, I'm not going to pray now. Because it's impossible for Allah to accept my prayer. So this is why we wanted to balance this. You understand? So there is a rule. Yes, we must live by that rule. But now when there might be somebody else that is being affected by that rule, we said, no, but it's Allah Ta'ala can forgive. It's okay that you ate, make two rakat salat tawbah ask for forgiveness, continue on. Inshallah, Allah Ta'ala, well, you didn't do it. You did it unknowingly. You see my point? And then this rule would apply that, yes, tafaddulan wa lutfan wa karaman. Allah Ta'ala, out of, his, out of His grace, out of His mercy, out of His generosity, Allah doesn't need our... Allah is telling us to stay away from unlawful and haram for our own good, that we don't defile our own selves. And as you can see, Imam Ibn Hajar Asqalani says, وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَحَدُ الْأَحَادِيثِ الَّتِي عَلَيْهَا قَوَاعِدُ الْإِسْلَامِ وَمَبَانِ الْأَحْكَامِ That this hadith is one of the ahadith that is the fundamentals of Islam. That everything should be done with pure and sincere intention. Starting internally and working out to the limbs. Starting with, right, jinan and going out for the jawarih, the limbs of the body. And it is the basis of many, many ahkam. Any ahkam of you know, um, 
if somebody, for example, gives zakat from haram money, yeah, zakat is done, but for example, he doesn't get the reward of that, or so on and so forth. Many ahkam are based on any rulings. Ibn Hajar explains that in this hadith is an encouragement that we should spend only from that which is pure. An interesting thing of spending from that which is pure, this was a concept that even the mushrikeen understood. It's a very interesting story that when they were rebuilding the Kaaba, the Quraysh, I think this was when the Prophet was still not, he had not become a prophet as of yet, and they were building the Kaaba. So they collected funds. And when the funds that they collected, some of the people that gave money were people that were soothsayers and what even in their culture it was considered something like even for example people that you know are american you know they what do they call las vegas hmm? they call it sin city and people that are don't are they don't not people of faith or you know gambling is not good money people know gambling is not good money or money that's earned through evil actions is not good money Money that's earned through gambling is not clean money. Even people who are not people of faith, they understand that there's another, there's a money that's hard-earned money of a guy who's working from nine to five, you know, a single mom working nine to five at a job, you know, at, you know, at the Walmart register, and he's standing on, one, standing on two feet for five, six, seven, eight hours a day. And that money earning is different than a person selling drugs on the street. Disbeliever and a non-Muslim will even understand somebody. Somebody who doesn't even have iman understands that, isn't it? So the mushrikeen understood. So all different types of people, you know, some gangsters and some mafias and some gamblers and some, you know, prostitutes and these people also they, you know, join their money along for what? To their funds to rebuild the Kaaba. When they put it, wait a minute, you're wait a, who you? We know exactly what you do. Okay, take that out, leave that to the side. What do you? No. you when they saw, wait a minute, we only have, instead of like 10,000, they had, for example, 1,000 dinars. And for 1,000 dinars, they can only build this much. So they said, we're not going to put that money on the Kaaba because this is the house of Allah. We cannot put the dirty money, the money that was stolen, the money that was from highway robbers, the money that was from soothsayers or fortune tellers. Even amongst them, this was unclean gamblers, so what they did, they made the Kaaba short and then that area, they put the Hatim. That's where the Hatim comes in. You know that half circle? So that half circle is the original bina of Sayyidina Ibrahim Ismail. So the Kaaba was actually that much longer. It's interesting. Why didn't they build that? Out of the sanctity of Allah's house that we don't want to build and make infaq from haram money, from dirty money. SubhanAllah. And it teaches us that even what we eat and even what we drink and even what we wear should not be from haram sources. And the one who is intending to make dua, then he should be more concerned about purifying 
this utensil of dua. وَأَنَّ الْعَبْدَ إِذَا أَنْفَقَ نَفَقَةً طَيِّبَةً فَهِيَ الَّتِي تَزْكُوا وَتَنْمُوا And the person who spends from wholesome earnings, that is the one whose wealth will be accepted. وَأَنَّ الطَّعَامَ الَّذِيذ مِنْ غَيْرِ الْمُبَاحِ يَكُونُ وَبَالًا عَلَىٰ آكِلِهِ And that food which is good food, delicious food, but it's not from haram, but it's from haram and it's not pure, it will be a source of regret. وَلَا يَقْبَلُهُ اللَّهِ And Allah will not accept it. May Allah give us tawfiq to implement what has been said. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَانَا الْحَمْدَ لِلَّهِ